This is the Rogue Castaways with Hostile Takeover, episode number one. This is the story of Mason Classical Academy, a public charter school located in Naples, Florida. There's been an ongoing vicious battle over control of the school that has pitted parent against parent in a bitter conflict that started shortly after the school opened in 2014. As this fight has intensified and become more heated, what started with a handful of complaints against some of the leadership of the school has evolved into accusations of financial mismanagement and the attempted theft of almost $1 million in taxpayer money by a handful of school employees. The school is currently involved in two lawsuits, and there is at least one other on the horizon that seems inevitable. The school has sued parents, employees have sued the school, and the local school district has even had to resort to forcing the school into mediation to get them to agree to follow the most basic state and federal laws. So far this year, the school has committed half a million dollars to attorney's fees alone, where they only had budgeted about 50000 for the entire board function in any previous year. The cast of characters that has helped hijack the school may be the strangest part of this whole story. Why would anyone think that it was a good idea for a convicted felon to play an integral part in building a school? Kelly Lichter's husband, Nick Lichter, had served a year in prison for felony robbery and had more recently been arrested for cocaine possession and domestic abuse. These facts were kept hidden from the other board members of the school, and Kelly made sure that Nick did not have to complete the volunteer paperwork required of every other volunteer at the school. Mr. Lichter even had a set of keys to the school and was often seen coming and going through the back doors of the school by teachers throughout the school day. A screenshot of the school's Google Drive system showed Mr. Lichter even had access to sensitive school records. When challenged about Mr. Lichter's role in the school operations, and Mrs. Lichter's attempts to conceal his prior criminal activity, Mrs. Lichter used her power as the board chair to circumvent any debate about her school policy violations. I just wanted to take a minute and thank you for listening to Rogue Castaway's Hostile Takeover. If you want to receive notifications each time we upload a new episode, be sure to visit our Transistor webpage at 
roadcastaways.transistor.fm and hit the subscribe button at the top of the page. Hopefully, in next week's episode, we'll be able to share some details about upcoming guests to the show. If you have any stories you want to share with us, click on the email icon at the bottom of our webpage and send us a note. Now, back to the story. None of the current leadership of the school has ever had any experience working in a school, much less running one. With the job of disciplining students often falling to the assistant principal, would your first choice for the job be a former priest who was a former professional wrestler and a former cop? These people thought it made sense. When the lines were first drawn for this fight, parents fell on one of two sides. On one side, you had the parents that sided with the current leadership of the school. This group, led by the school's chairwoman, Kelly Mason Lichter, believed that the school was in good hands because of the good grades the school received in those initial years. The other group in this battle, who Mrs. Lichter eventually started calling the angry mob, consisted of current and past parents who believed that the leadership of this school was very antagonistic towards anyone that didn't buy into their militaristic approach. How antagonistic were they? At one point, a parent had filed a complaint against the school with the Florida Department of Children and Families, when her young child was expelled for soiling his pants twice over a short period of time. He was experiencing some medical issues, but none of the school's leadership team was interested in helping her resolve the issue. When she had exhausted her efforts at trying to find help within the school, she agreed to speak to the media to voice her concern. How did the school respond to questions by the local media? The assistant principal, Joe Whitehead, who was the former cop and sometimes public radio talk show host, responded by stating, When you kill a good reputation intentionally, wrongfully, and by stealth, you have in fact killed that person. I would have no problem with facing anyone like that and terminating their lease on life, referring to the parents of the child going to DCF and then the media. Board member Laura Miller also chimed in on the subject saying, Joe, I agree with you. It's imposing for me to believe that the parent who called for an interrogation of staff by DCF is a true patriot. She also added that the founders of the school would never dream of this kind of cowardly, destructive action. When I spoke with Joe Whitehead about his comments, he deflected the questions as to what his intent was and said that in his radio show, he has a certain personality that his audience expects and that he was just responding as that personality, not the assistant principal of the school. No one had expected how awful this battle was going to become, and no one realized that it was going to get much much worse. I first became familiar with Mason Classical Academy when my wife and I entered our son in the lottery to attend the school in 2016. While Naples is one of the most affluent small cities in the country, there are pockets of significant poverty throughout the school district, and as often happens, some schools will have better reputations than others. We wanted to have more than one option, and Mason appeared to be a good one. Mason Classical Academy was formed as a charter school under Florida law, which means that the school uses state and federal funds just like a regular public school, but the founders have some latitude as to the management and curriculum that are used. Mason started with a classical curriculum that focused on reading, writing, and speaking versus the common core curriculum that had become the norm. They followed a curriculum developed by Hillsdale College, a private liberal arts college located in Michigan, 
The school started its first school year in 2014 and had immediate success, with the school receiving high marks across the board. Mason Classical Academy is led by a governing board of five individuals. Well, it was five before last week started. And they make all the major decisions on running the school. Just below the board is the principal that runs the operations of the school. Well, that was the structure before last month. Now there's an executive director that was placed between the board and the principal, and now the principal answers to the executive director. And actually, the principal has been placed on paid leave after the events of the last two weeks. But the structure is supposed to be that the principal runs the school operations and answers to the executive director, who answers to the board. Why an executive director? Well, David Hall, the current executive director of Mason Classical Academy, was the principal of the school last year before giving in to public pressure to resign after the school district released a report leveling a multitude of accusations of unethical and illegal behavior by Mr. Hall. What kind of behavior? Well, there were several notable incidents in the report from the school district in which Mr. Hall was accused of publicly shaming individuals and groups of students. There were accusations of bullying a female student and her parents when she was involved with the principal's son. There was the charter school consulting business that David Hall partnered in with Kelly Lichter and one of his other employees, and Kelly Lichter's husband, Nick. And there was the very odd incident that may just exemplify how weird things really are at this school. In May 2018, when a faculty committee of 11 teachers was assigned to determine which student in the senior class should receive the Student of Virtue Award, things did not go as smoothly as the committee expected when they made their selection. The committee weighed the options and reviewed the records of the seniors they thought best exemplified the award before coming up with a winner. However, before the winner was even announced, Principal Hall found it necessary to lobby for a student that he thought was a better candidate than the winner that the committee had chosen. Mr. Hall believed his own son should have gotten the award rather than the other student. He sent an email admonishing the committee for not choosing his son and went on to provide a list of both students' grades, awards, and college acceptances. He added to that list each student's disciplinary history, tardies, and demerits for the time they had attended Mason. When he was asked about why he lobbied for his son and against another student, he stated that he felt the student that was chosen was not as strong a candidate as his son, and that he would have done it for any other student that he thought was better than the one chosen. I hope these stories are starting to give you an idea of the kind of people we are dealing with here. Thanks again for listening to Rogue Castaway's Hostile Takeover. Before we get to the climax of today's story, I want to encourage you again to visit roguecastaways.transistor.fm to subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss any updates on the latest scandal to rock this school. Now, here's the conclusion to episode one of Hostile Takeover. There was an emergency board meeting scheduled for April 30th, 2020, and the agenda lists the items for discussion as Joe Whitehead's contract and ramifications, and the Stanley Walkowitz report. No one was sure what the reference to Joe Whitehead's contract was about, but everyone involved knew that Stanley Walkowitz was the director of maintenance at the school, and Pam Vicarious had released a report just a week prior 
where she included an email from Mr. Walkowitz. Mr. Walkowitz's email explained his frustration with the poor condition of the school building and the lack of funds allocated to keep the school up to health and fire codes. The previous week's report from Mrs. Vicarious also included a letter to the board detailing crimes that she was asked to perpetrate by various board members and how she had reported them to three different law enforcement agencies in the state of Florida. The report came on the heels of the firing of the school's compliance officer, who had just sent a letter to the board revealing that one of the board members, David Bolduch, a local insurance salesman, had secretly set up a deal with certain board members to change the health insurance of the school from Blue Cross to an insurer that he represented, thus generating commissions for Mr. Bolduch from the transaction. This kind of transaction is a conflict of interest and is illegal in Florida as it is in most states. We'll get to those events in our next episode, but it should suffice to say that Mrs. Vicarious was square in the crosshairs of some members of the board after last week's report. Just prior to the start of this board meeting, which was to take place virtually on Zoom, a parent started circulating more documents from Mrs. Vicarious with copies of emails between Kelly Lichter, Pam Vicarious, and the school's law firm. The emails detail Kelly's attempts to block Mrs. Vicarious from presenting a principal's report and confirm that the board had deleted her report when she tried to upload it with the agenda. The report and the copies of the other documents she tried to upload to the agenda were shocking, to say the least. The documents were amended copies of contracts for Pamela Vicarious, David Hall, Joe Whitehead, and Gina Smith. Gina Smith was the school's quality control manager and a business partner with both Kelly Lichter and David Hall. The contracts were all modified from the original form, and the Hull, Whitehead, and Smith contracts were signed by each employee and Pam Vicarious as a representative of the school. The Vicarious contract had no signatures. So what's important about these contract changes? All of these contracts were changed to allow each employee to take a lump sum payment for the remainder of their contract, no matter how many years they had left. This means that David Hull could take payment today for the three years remaining on his contract at $130,000 per year. He would receive a payment of $390,000 immediately, and that doesn't even include what he was owed for the remainder of the school year. In addition to the lump sum payment the employees were to receive, if any of them was fired or if the school was closed, they would not have to pay back the prepaid salary they received. Is this legal? Absolutely not. This is a taxpayer-funded organization, and these types of organizations or agencies are not permitted to prepay for services for employees. This was a clear violation of state and possibly federal law. Why did Pam Vicarious change these contracts? Mrs. Vicarious stated that she was directed to change these contracts by Kelly Lichter, and she included emails and text messages showing that at the very least, Mrs. Lichter was aware of these changes. The total amount to be prepaid to these four employees was $888,500. How could a school afford to pay this amount of money to these four employees? The school had not lost any revenue from the pandemic because taxpayer funds were still being sent to the school. This amount of money just can't be sitting around. But this money was just sitting around. The school had just received a large infusion of money from an unlikely source. The school had just received their payment from the government for $837,500, and 
obtained through the Paycheck Protection Program. How had this school even qualified for the program if their revenues had not changed? Well, this has been the issue with the federal program. Many large companies had already returned the money when they realized the horrible PR that they were receiving for taking the limited funds away from smaller companies that desperately needed the help. Wow, this was a shocker. Here was Mason Classical Academy's leadership taking these funds when their revenue had not actually been impacted by the pandemic. And just to note, the funds are not a gift. They're actually a very low interest loan. However, the loan is forgiven if the majority of the money is used for payroll and a few other limited purposes. What was Mason going to do with these funds? Apparently, they were going to use them to pay a few favored employees with the ultimate golden parachute. The meeting opened with Kelly Lichter calling roll, but before she could open discussions on the agenda, Conrad Wilkham, a relatively new board member, interrupted her with some big news. Mr. Wilkham was a local attorney, and it was common knowledge that he was a Lichter supporter who was appointed to the board after Lichter, Miller, and Bolduch agreed to add additional members during the September 2019 mediation with the school district. It appeared to most that Mr. Wickham did indeed want to help the school, but it also appeared that he had fallen into the trappings associated with this particular group. They often violated sunshine laws and open government rules, as they always assumed that they were under attack from every direction from outside forces wanting to close the school. No one really thought he was involved in the serious crimes being perpetrated by the board and the school leadership, and he was about to prove that he had no desire to be tied to the accusations that had just surfaced. Mr. Wilkham's statement was brief and to the point. He said he just sent a letter to each of the board members a short time ago, and he was resigning from the board effective immediately. And then he was gone. It was rather shocking to have a meeting start in this manner. They are all a matter of routine, as the board always has these meetings scripted out and the votes are always unanimous in favor of whatever Kelly Lichter wants. Wilkham had voted against the other members three or four times in the past month when things started to get serious, but up until that point, it was all just a show, similar to the next two items on the agenda. First, Kelly Lichter, who had blocked the report by Pam Vicarious accusing her of masterminding the payroll scandal, turned around and accused Mrs. Vicarious of being the mastermind. She quickly moved to suspend Mrs. Vicarious for the scandal and request that the school's current lawyers investigate the allegations. The vote passed unanimously. None of the other employees were discussed, even though they had signed their contracts and were aware that the board had never reviewed or considered their contract changes. Now, I don't know about you, but if I found out that four of my employees had attempted to steal $900,000 from me in a prepaid salary scam, my first move would be to call the police. But that's not what the Mason board did here. They moved on to bigger fish. For the next hour, the board grilled the maintenance director of the school regarding his email detailing how he was unable to keep the school up to health code and fire code. It was obviously a scripted discussion by the board members to try and get the maintenance guy to say that Pam Vicarious encouraged him to complain about the school board. Over and over they questioned this man, who came off as very honest and very genuine. Ultimately, one of his final statements was more telling than anything else that he had said during his time being questioned. A board member asked him why he didn't write down all these problems before his email. 
he started to answer. She told me, and Laura Miller cut him off quickly, thinking she had caught Pam in their trap. Who is she, and what did she tell you? The maintenance man said, she is Gina Smith, and she told me never to type anything in a computer at the school because we don't ever want the school district to come in here and read something like that. The board quickly ended the interrogation and the meeting shortly thereafter. Currently, we're waiting for law enforcement to conduct their investigation, and hopefully we will see some board members and employees hauled away in cuffs soon. I don't want to get my hopes too high yet, but there's a lot more ground to cover in our next episode. In next week's episode, we're going to find out who just filed a new lawsuit against Mason Classical Academy. We'll talk about the convicted felon who had access to all the children and their records. We'll look at the lawsuit that Mason filed against their former treasurer. And we'll talk a little bit about the lawsuit against Mason Classical Academy that Kelly Lichter hid from everyone. Thanks for listening. Well, that's it for episode one of Rogue Castaway's Hostile Takeover. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you subscribe to our show at roguecastaways.transistor.fm so you can enjoy all of our future episodes. Have a great week, and we'll see you soon.